This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. Today is the fourth Sunday of Advent, and uh, that means that next Sunday is Christmas Sunday, which means that Saturday, uh, like it works every year, is Christmas Eve. So as, the, as you saw earlier, our Christmas Eve services are at 4 and 5.30. We've moved our times up a little bit this year since it falls on a Saturday. Hopefully you saw some of these little invite cards sitting on your seat when you came in. Those are for you to take and share with neighbors, friends, family, whoever you want to. Um, Christmas morning, we will have one service at 10.45. Those will be two different services. So a, a few people have asked me, like, are you going to have the same Christmas Eve service on Christmas Day? Which, I mean, doesn't that answer itself? Like, can you have a Christmas Eve service on Christmas Day? No. I mean, that's like, it's like writing a paper for one class and turning it in in three classes, which works. But I think it's kind of frowned upon. But anyways, those will be separate services. If you've never joined us for a Christmas Eve service, I hope you will this year. It's a, a wonderful tradition that we have here at Christian Chapel. It's a one-hour service that features uh, Christmas carols, some other Christmas music, and special elements, as well as uh, a candlelight at the, candlelighting at the end and communion. It's just a great way for us to join together in worship and kind of remember together Uh, the meaning of Christmas and the difference that Jesus makes in our lives. So I hope you'll be able to join us for one of those. This year during Advent, our uh, Advent theme has been Have Yourself a Messy Little Christmas. And we've been talking about how Jesus comes down into the middle of our mess and he brings hope, he brings peace, he brings joy, and he brings love to us. This morning we're going to focus especially on that idea of joy and just what all that means to us. Now, I know for many of us, we recognize our need for joy, right? We know um, that we need it, we want to experience it, and yet life is messy. And there are all sorts of things in life that can kind of conspire to take the joy away from us. Uh, And yet, what we're going to look at this morning from Luke chapter 1 and the angel's announcement to Mary that she will be the one who brings Jesus into the world is that when Jesus comes... Um, Not only does he bring us joy in the mess, but sometimes it's his arrival that actually creates the mess. But if we are faithful to him, if we respond uh, to him as Mary shows us, then we too can experience his presence, which brings us joy in every circumstance, no matter what's going on. I think the the preschool choir this morning is kind of the, the perfect example of finding Jesus in the mess, right? So... You all, now, if, if your kid did something that you were not pleased with, my only plea to you is please go easy on them, because what horrified you made me laugh, and everyone else, too. And so, the, the, like, my boys and I, we have a conversation every year. Like, I was talking to uh, my nine-year-old in between services, and he was telling me, like, I'm going to tell some of those kids if they'll do this or that, I'll give them candy after church. Um, And so, which kind of fits in line, like in our house, we have a standing $20 offer for if you get a goofy face in the yearbook class picture, uh, you get 20 bucks. So, you know, just there, my point is you think it's messy. It brings us joy. So be nice to your little boys. Okay. Uh, No kid. I talked to a first grader today. I was like, Hey, are you, are you glad you don't have to sing? Are you sad? He's like, I hated it. I'm so happy. So just be nice to them. Those boys, half of them didn't want to be up here anyways. Almost all of us men, if you made us come up here and sing, would look like little Max and Hunley, just <laughs> hands in our pockets, angry at the world, you know. So cut them some slack. 
it's all good, okay? Joy in the mess. And that preschool choir is a perfect example because think of your life whenever you've had like this this big thing you're working towards, this thing that you've planned that you, I mean, like these little kids, you got all dressed up for it, you practiced your part, and then what happens sometimes? You're the one who trips on the steps. You're the one who forgets the words. You're the one that the person next to you steals all your thunder and your moment of glory is gone, right? And what we're going to talk about this morning is that Jesus brings us joy even in those really messy situations when all of our plans blow up, when everything we were expecting does not come to be, Jesus still is our source of joy. So as we start down that road this morning, I want you to think for just a moment about what is it that would make you a joyful person today? Not what would make you happy, not what would make you feel a little bit better, but what would it take, what would have to change in your life, in your heart, in your circumstances for you to be able to legitimately say, I am filled with joy. Most of us, if we had time to consider that, or maybe in your home groups tonight, you'll be able to uh, ask that question and, and hear the responses from others. But most of us, I think, when we start going down that road, we immediately begin to think about something or someone that would need to change. Right? Like, well, if, if my bank account would hit this amount, I would be joyful. If my kids would do this, I would be joyful. If I would meet the right person, I would be joyful. If they would finally admit that I was right, I would be joyful. If they would finally apologize, if they would change what they're doing, I would be joyful. And what I want us to understand this morning is that the joy Jesus brings does not depend on our circumstances. And so if you're in this position of thinking that your joy depends on something else or someone else, that's an idea that you're going to have to push away from. Because it's just going to lead you into experiences of disappointment. When Angie and I do pre-marriage counseling, we always tell uh, couples who are getting married that in, in marriage, your anger or your disappointment is going to be the distance between your expectations and your experience. And so we try to help them have very realistic expectations going into marriage of this is what it's going to be like. And when it comes to our topic of finding joy in the mess, I think that's important as well. Because if your expectation is you'll only know joy when all these other things fall into place, then you will never know joy. In the absolute best case, you will get fleeting moments of happiness and good feelings in those rare seasons where everything is good and you're kind of on top of the world. But for the most part, you're going to live life pretty disappointed and pretty joyless if you're always depending on someone else or something else. As we turn to the story of Mary in Luke chapter 1, she begins to show us how we can have joy in every single season. I know many of you are familiar with this story, but Mary is a poor girl living in a small town. She is kind of the, the picture of obscurity. Um, she is, has her, her life planned out for her. She's engaged to Joseph. She knows what life is going to look like because her life is going to look like the generations that have come before her. She's going to live in that little small town. She's going to marry at a young age. She's going to have children at a young age. She's going to spend her life serving her children, serving her husband. She's going to work hard at home. She might work in the field or in the shop or in other areas of town. She's going to care for her relatives. She is going to be part of her community. She's going to worship God like her family has always worshiped God. She's going to observe the law. She's going to participate in the festivals and the celebrations of her people. She's going to pass down the stories of God's salvation that she has heard to her children and hopefully live to share those stories with her grandchildren as well. 
Mary's life is laid out before her. It's going to be a, a hard life, but it's predictable, and she knows it, what it's going to be, and so it feels kind of safe to her. Then in Luke chapter 1, an angel appears to her with a message that turns her world completely upside down. And you can read the, the, the fullness of his message to her, but for this morning, we're just going to look at these two verses, Luke 1, verses 31 through 33. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and, you, and will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord your God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Now Mary receives this message, and it has to be completely confusing. I mean, just there's no way to really prepare yourself for the idea that you will be the one who brings the Son of God into the world. There's no way to wrap your mind around the idea of a virgin birth, of the Holy Spirit placing a child in your belly. All of this is, is completely at odds. And, and for Mary, there's really no way to imagine a world that is not marked by uh, Roman oppression, that is not marked by powers that are greater than her. And so this idea that somehow God will place a baby inside of her that will rise to rule and reign on the throne of David forever is, I, I mean, it's just, it's mind-blowing. It's beyond comprehension, and, and it is for her, and I think it would be for all of us as well. But beyond that, the arrival of Jesus in Mary's life creates quite the mess for her. It places her in a position of vulnerability. Right? She faces the possible loss of her engagement to Joseph, the loss of her reputation, the loss of a secure future that she had planned, potentially even the loss of her own life. It places her in a position of suspicion, where even though it's true, she's going to live the rest of her life being the girl who got pregnant before she was married. Right? I mean, how do, you, how, do you even, how do you explain the idea of pregnant virgin? You don't. Those two things don't go together. And so even after Jesus is born and even after the people from his hometown begin to understand there's something unique about him, there's something different, even after they see him perform miracles, even after maybe some of them are there and they witness him being crucified and they witness the resurrection, even still this cloud hangs over Mary her whole life where people always see her and they think, yeah, he turned out good, but I know the real story. Like, yeah, her son, he did some special things, but did you know she was pregnant before she got married to Joseph? You know, there's just this, this suspicion that's going to follow her all of the days of her life that she'll never escape from. And her life gets messy because it's uncertain. She doesn't know how Joseph will respond. She doesn't know what her parents will say. She doesn't know what her friends will think. There's discomfort that's going to come her way. There's relational discomfort. There's social discomfort. There's, I mean, physical discomfort. Right? I mean, I've, I've never been a pregnant woman, but I've been married to one for about two years. Um, not all at once. That'd be a record. But, uh, you know, spread over three kids is about the time we had. And, and what I learned, I mean, I'm, well, I've had three kids. I'm pretty much an expert, I think. But uh, pregnancy is uncomfortable. Right? You see it. Like, you see it when we have uh, women who are eight, nine months pregnant. You can even see it. There's a certain way they sit during a church service. And you can just tell, like, it's almost time. Right? It's an uncomfortable experience. They can't catch their breath. They're trying to get that kid out of their lungs and off their bladder and everything else and just the whole thing. This is what, I mean, just think of it though. This is what, like Mary's called into a life that is incredibly messy because this great gift of God has been given to her. And I, th I think most of the time we think when God blesses us, 
It's going to make life awesome. It's going to make people love me more. It's going to make people like me more. When I'm following his plan, everyone's going to be on my side and cheering for me, and I'm going to just kind of march forward in eternal victory. And what Mary's story begins to teach us is that, yes, Jesus brings us joy in the mess, but also following Jesus sometimes can create a bit of a mess. And yet her response to the angel's announcement is incredibly inspiring for us and I think helps us consider how we too should respond when Jesus is revealed to us. She says, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me according to your word. As we see the way Mary responds here initially and then some other steps she takes, I think we begin to see some ideas about what it looks like to actually experience joy in the mess. The first one comes from her response to the angels that we find joy in the mess when we know who we are. Mary's response was, I am the Lord's servant. She knew that her primary identity in life, before she was the daughter of her parents, before she was the fiance of Joseph, before she was even the mother of Jesus, she was the Lord's servant. And because of that, she was willing to follow wherever he led. You see, an equally important part of knowing who we are is knowing who we are not. And I think oftentimes we lack peace in our lives because we forget that we're the servant and we try to take on the role of the king. And we decide that, well, if I lack joy or I lack peace or I lack hope or I lack love, then the the surest solution is for me to just control everything and rule over it and reign over it. And as I do that, then I will attain for myself what I don't feel like God was giving me. But what we have all experienced, or maybe what you're currently experiencing, is that any time you try to be your own source of joy, it's not going to last. Again, you can, like, you, can, you can travel, you can engage in all kinds of different friendships and relationships, you can achieve great things in your career, you can build a beautiful family, you can have all of these things. But if you only have those through your own power, through your own will, through your own striving, they're not going to be a lasting source of joy for you, right? And so we have to come back to this idea, I am the Lord's servant. And so whatever he calls me to, I begin to understand that will be my primary source of joy in life. It's not in what I do, but it's in what he's called me to. Mary also shows us that we find joy in the mess when we share our lives with others. The angel comes and and he makes this announcement to Mary and he says, you're going to have a son and he will be Jesus and he will save his people from their sins. And it's just this really grand announcement. But in that, he also mentions uh, her relative Elizabeth. Now, Elizabeth at the time is pregnant and hers is also somewhat, not nearly on the scale of Mary's, but is somewhat a, a miraculous pregnancy. Elizabeth was old, she was past the age at which she should have had children, and yet God promised her and her husband a child. And so Elizabeth, in her old age, becomes pregnant, and her son, we come to know later, is John the Baptist. He's the one who will go before Jesus, who will prepare the way for him. And when the angel comes to Mary, he brings up Elizabeth's name to her. And so after the angel departs and Mary has accepted her role, one of the first things she does is she gathers up her things and she goes over to Elizabeth's house. And along the way, you feel like she had to be wondering, had to be questioning, what does all this mean? Was that really true? Was that really an angel? Am I imagining this whole thing? Is that really possible? 
I can't wrap my mind around. She's just searching through all this and she goes over and Luke picks up the story where she walks into Elizabeth's house and she greets her and it says in Luke chapter one, verse 41, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Again, I think it points us towards an idea because for many of us, when we find ourselves in the mess, we don't reach out, we turn in. Right? And, And Mary, of all people, has every reason to go hide in a room for the next nine months. Right, to stay away from people, to not want to share what has happened because there's just too much risk, there's too much mess, and yet she knows, well, the angel mentioned Elizabeth to me, so I'm gonna go there. And as soon as she walks in the door, the things that God has spoken to her are confirmed from the mouth of Elizabeth. And, and you see what happened there. It says, as soon as Mary spoke her greeting, Elizabeth launches into this, I am so glad you're here. You are blessed and highly favored of the Lord. Who am I that the mother of my Lord should visit me? Blessed are you who believe that the promises of the Lord will come true. What's Elizabeth telling her? What the angel said is true. The child you carry is the Savior, the Lord. Blessed are you when you believe it and respond to it. Elizabeth is confirming the angel's message. She is affirming Mary's faith, and she is encouraging her obedience. This is so often the exact same way that we experience joy in the mess, not in our own strength, not by turning inward, but by reaching out and letting others be a source of God's strength and encouragement to us. But those relationships aren't possible. They don't happen by accident. They require us to reach out and form them, right? That's, that's why we want to push back against this kind of cultural uh, American understanding of Christianity that, that your faith is just between you and Jesus and it's no one else's business. It's absolute garbage, right? You are called to Christ and I am called to Christ and we are called to Christ together, We're called to him and we're called to his body. We're called to be part of a community. We're called to be a a household of faith being built up together in him. And so if we ever reduce our experience of life in Christ and life with each other to sitting in a chair for an hour once or twice or maybe three times a month, that is a shallow, incomplete, and honestly powerless form of faith. When life gets messy. You don't need acquaintances that you've said hello to at church. You need friends whose homes you can go to. So we're constantly pushing on the idea of get in a home group, serve with other people, let us pray with you, move past just the shoulder-to-shoulder participation and make time for face-to-face, for conversations, for building of relationships because one of the primary ways God will bring you joy in the mess is through others. I mean, can you imagine a more perfect person for Mary to be encouraged by? than someone else who finds themselves miraculously pregnant at the word of the Lord. How many times in your life has God surrounded you with people 
who have been where you are and who can speak words of encouragement and hope and faith and just tell you, just obey, God will be with you. But for you and I, we must make that investment. We must take that risk of entering into those kinds of relationships. Mary also shows us that we find joy in the mess when we know our purpose. In verse 46, so after Mary visits Elizabeth, we find uh, these 10 or 12 verses that is Mary's kind of song of response. You know, apparently she is a, she's a Mary Poppins type person that when good things happen, you break into song. And so that's what, that's what Mary does, right? And so she sings the song, and, it, and it's really a, it's a beautiful song. And she begins with this idea of my soul glorifies the Lord. Other translations read, my soul magnifies the Lord. And for you and I, what, what I want us to take away here is this idea that when you are in the mess, remember your purpose. And, and we get sideways with this all the time because when we start to think of purpose, we think about the things we do, right? Where do I work? Who do I marry? Who do I, where are my kids? Where do I find my meaning? Where do I find my significance? We focus all on our efforts and our abilities and all of this. But when I talk about finding joy because you know your purpose, I'm not talking about what you do, but I'm talking about who you are. And what Mary teaches us is that who we are, we are people who have been created in the image of God and our souls have been uniquely designed to glorify God in our world. Our hearts are made to magnify him, to make much of him, to take the small things he's doing in us and to expand those and share them with the world around us. For Mary, before she's even created to be the mother of Jesus, she is created to be a daughter of God. And because of that, her spirit rejoices. Because of that, her soul will magnify the Lord. And for you and I, it, it makes us remember that in every messy season of life, we have reasons to rejoice. We have reasons to magnify the Lord. We have reasons to consider his goodness to us and to understand how much deeper it runs than our circumstances. The last thing Mary teaches us about finding joy in the mess is that we find it when we surrender to our Savior. Mary says, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. This is not a, a just kind of throwaway line. This is the, the result of Mary growing up in a home, growing up in a culture where the stories of God are always the stories of him saving his people. She's heard the stories from Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. She's heard the stories of the exodus out of Egypt. She's heard the stories of God providing through the judges, of him delivering during the time of the kings, of him coming again and again and again, despite the rebelliousness of his people, despite their, their complete and utter disregard for him. And yet again and again and again, when they are persecuted, when they are suffering, when they cry out, they find God to be a savior. And Mary knows that in the middle of this mess, God will save her again. And so her spirit rejoices, her soul magnifies the Lord because God is her Savior. And it's a, a great reminder to us as well. Our joy is not rooted in our circumstances, but in God's character. 
It is in his character to save us. It is who he is. It's how he's revealed himself to us. So when life is bad, God is good. The darkness sometimes makes his light shine even brighter. Our weakness highlights his strength. Our struggles demonstrate our need for a savior. And what Advent reminds us of is that Christ has come. And he has come as savior. He has come as the one who enables our souls to rejoice in all circumstances, to magnify God in seasons of plenty and seasons of want, to glorify him on days of wonderful sunshine and just blissful existence and in our darkest and loneliest hours. Because God, our Savior, has come in the person of Jesus Christ. You see, the the reality of Advent is that Christ has come. The promises to Mary were fulfilled. And he doesn't just come as sweet baby Jesus, but he comes as the eternal God incarnate. We think of this summer we worked through uh, the book of Colossians together. And as I have thought all, I mean basically all year, but especially during Advent this year, we do not just remember sweet baby Jesus, right? We don't just remember this little cuddly baby that comes to be an example and to be a role model to us, but we come to remember him as God in flesh, that Jesus is our joy in the mess. Jesus is our hope in the mess. Jesus is our peace in the mess. And what we've talked about over and over and over again is that he can provide those things because he's greater than any circumstance we face. Listen to the way Paul describes him in Colossians chapter one. The son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. Our hope for joy in the mess is in the eternal God who comes as a man to make himself known, to make himself available, to bear the full weight of sin, the full weight of evil, of everything that would ever rob joy from our lives. He faces it and he defeats it for us. And Paul reminds us the same Christ who came, the same one who stood before all of creation the one in whom all things were made and for whom all things were made. The one who is before all things, who's behind all things, who's under all things, who's above all things. This is the Christ who brings joy in the mess. And because that's who he is, 
Our spirits rejoice in God our Savior. As American Christians, I think we have become very good at letting other people magnify God for us. It's easy to come to church and let me or or whoever's speaking be the one who glorifies God, who magnifies God. It's easy to sit in a time of of singing and, and let the people up front be the ones who are glorifying God. Let the songwriter be the one who's glorifying God to let your favorite blogger or author be the one who magnifies the work of God for you. But what Mary teaches us is that we find joy when we recognize that our soul was made to glorify him. So I want to finish this morning a little bit differently. If you'll bow your heads and close your eyes before the worship team plays, I want to take just a a moment of silence. And, And I know we're in all kinds of situations. I know there are some of us here who are suffering the loss of loved ones. There are others suffering the effects of sickness. Some of us facing very uncertain futures, very painful relationships. But as you just sit there with your eyes closed, I want you to think for just a moment that in the midst of all you're going through, your soul was made to glorify the Lord. You were created in his image. You were made on purpose and for a purpose. And despite your circumstances, he comes to you today as God, your savior. Greater than your need, greater than your sin, greater than your doubt. And so let's just take a moment and just sit here in silence and together we will consider how our hearts are made to magnify him. We're going to ask the spirit just to do that in us. Let's, Let's do that for just a moment together. God, we come to you today as people in need of fresh experiences of your presence in our lives. Asking you to come and save us from our sin. Save us in the midst of our circumstances. Glorify yourself in us. Lord, help us to see that when life is bad, you are good. May we rest in your revelation to us of a loving father who gives good gifts to his children who through Christ has provided a way for us to experience the life you promised Lord bring the power and the presence of Jesus Christ into our souls and may it be the thing that gives us a sustainable and enduring and unshakable experience of your joy in every season smiles are gone, when the feelings have faded, when all that was right has been taken away. May our joy remain because you are good and you are with us. 
This morning, Lord, our spirits rejoice in God, our Savior. We know that you have seen the humble. We know that you have stretched out your arm to act on our behalf. We know that you have filled the hungry with good things. And so our souls join together to declare your goodness, to live in your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Christian Chapel. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com.